0: you ago, in this quiet forest, in this cozy cabin, something happened. Something so frightening. Something so deadly. Something so evil. We prayed it would never happen again. Now, From the creator of Evil Dead comes Evil Dead.
1: everybody welcome back to the pod and the pendulum the movie podcast covering every horror franchise one movie in one episode at a time we're back again we've packed up the car again we've lost some friends along the way not quite sure what happened to them we've brought our new lady love with us we're back in that cabin trying to get some r&r and we're here to talk this week evil dead 2 I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my co-host, Lindsay Travis. Lindsay, how are we doing?
2: I'm good. Evil Dead 2. Ah, the crowd goes wild.
1: This is the one you're excited about. Yeah. This is it. Like after this, you're like, I'm done. I don't really yeah, want to talk about any today. movie ever again. This is
2: Yeah, it, I so. didn't I didn't let you know, but this is this is it. Great after this. Fantastic. This is Thanks. all I came here for. Yeah.
1: Excellent. <laughs> so excellent. Yeah. So we have a guest with us, so I guess will be. I guess, auditioning for co-host because Lindsay just quit. Because I quit. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> You guys. We have the co-host of the Telluride Horror Show as well as a filmmaker with his um, filmmaking and life partner, Becky Sayers. We have with us today, Brad McCarg.
3: Brad, how are you? Oh, I can't complain. How are you, Mike? You will, though. You will. I will. It's you inevitable. Will. I mean, it's my honestly, thing. it's dude, what I do.
1: It's what you do. I will say, Brad, right before, and I didn't know whether I should mention this or not, like right before we came on, my other podcast got a message in our group extolling the virtues of session nine and how much they love that movie. And I'm That's like, do movie. I do I tell Brad this or does he like I don't want to be the session nine guy anymore? But
3: I thought I was the Pawnee pool guy. You are that
1: too. Probably more so the Pawnee pool guy. But uh, for those who don't know, like Brad loves Pawnee Pool in Session 9. And many other things as well. I want you to know that. Brad, how are we tonight?
3: Uh, We're good. It's nice and ugly outside. Snowing, late April snow here in Denver. But uh, otherwise, uh, not bad. Not
1: bad. It's it's gorgeous here. It's been 70 all week in Boston. I've been doing yard work. Getting that farmer's tan. Like laying down some mulch. Laying down some... (sighs) Some new grass seed because my yard is a mess right now and you folks are shoveling snow.
2: Your yad. Yeah, <laughs> yad. We got snow. Your yad. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we, watched, we got snow.
1: We watched a hoarders last night and it was Worcester. Like before they even said words from like, that's Worcester. You can tell by the accent. They're gonna be going to dunks. And sure enough, Merrill from Worcester was on the my clock with a house, like literally 30 tons of trash in the house. So there we Uh, are but uh, we're not here to talk trash we're here to talk trash cinema we're here to talk (gasps) evil dead 2 and i mean that in the most positive loving way possible so my question for y'all is in lindsay this is your favorite of the bunch right
2: yeah it is my favorite um yeah i'm like very excited i love this movie very much
1: so what was your first exposure to evil dead 2 dead by dawn
2: yeah, my first exposure. I think I mentioned it a bit um, last episode when we just did uh, *Evil Dead*. That like I watched them pretty close back to back, and I kind of was like, I don't get this movie at all. And then put on the second one and it was just like a gasp, like my mouth was just like wide open the whole time, like, oh, this is the best movie ever. And then it immediately made me appreciate the first one.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then I watched the third one, which again we'll get to, but and I'll save that for uh, for the next mm-hmm. episode, but. Evil Give Dead 2 I was tease. just like yeah a just little a little tease. tease just a little well I watched the third one and I also really loved it there's like the things that I referenced the most and when I dressed up as Ash I did go as Army mm-hmm. of Darkness Ash mm-hmm. um but I uh I don't know I just like I was like okay medieval sure no thanks like I mm-hmm. don't that's just not for me but um yeah Evil Dead 2 I was like oh you just like took the movie and added more funny blood this is my mm-hmm. favorite movie
1: what was it about? You said it made you appreciate the first movie more, and I'm wondering specifically what it was that made you like go back and appreciate the first movie more.
2: Good question. I think the first one, like we said, is much more straight up, and I think sometimes it's hard to appreciate something that is a classic because of like a what it did at the time and b how it's aged it's hard to appreciate that when you watch it the first time like i think it's hard to like watch a movie like i have friends who like watched and i'm saving this conversation i'm putting a pin in it but i have friends who watched blade runner now for the first time and they're like oh like i don't get why people love it and i get that like i think that you know sometimes you it's like an at the time thing and it like takes a minute to like really understand what's so great about it and I think it was like watching the second one I was like oh I see what what this turned into and I get why these gags are actually so fun Mm -hmm. where I just thought they were like not very well shot gags but Mm -hmm. now I'm like oh i get it these were like two guys making a budget scary movie that they got to lean into later you know things like that
1: well it's true and i think to your point about something like blade runner or the original evil dead when you see everything that comes out of its wake Mm
2: -hmm. and not
1: necessarily does it better but like does it and you see it first and maybe has a few more resources they can put into it it's hard to go back to the progenitor of it and be like oh yeah, this is what started it all. So yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. So
1: and, and Brad, how about yourself?
3: <laughs> yeah, um, as I revealed earlier before we started recording, uh, Evil the Two used to be my favorite. Mm-hmm. I, I loved the the slapstickiness of it and the humor. And even watching it again uh, in prep for this podcast, I realized just how surreal the movie really is but as it kept going and kept going and it comes in at like a scant like 86 minutes long it's It's not a very long movie
1: perfect length
3: until the others show up at the cabin it's fascinating but it's kind of boring wow i know i know like that that's really weird to say because, I mean, objectively, I think it's not boring. It's, but compared to the first, I, I do feel like it's, it's rushed introduction and then just sort of the slow pacing of just him hearing things and, you know, the, the stuffed animals on the, the taxidermy animals, you know, freaking out at him and, and all that stuff. It works, but it's, it's too much. It it feels like unnecessary padding. Mm-hmm. I don't think it needed to be that much to really under, to to have the audience understand, um, you know how it's affecting Ash. Yeah. But I also do think that it is kind of hindered by that, um, uh, the the recap of the first movie condensed mm-hmm. with just the two characters. Like it kind of takes away all that interesting character development that occurs in the first one. Um, but I totally understand why people love it because of just how goofy it gets Yeah, at times. I,
1: you know, I want to say, Brad, are you trying to just promote your brand right now and say, actually, <laughs> I don't
3: like this. Yeah. No, I still I still like <laughs> the movie. I just like it less mm-hmm. now than I did, you know, 15, 20 years ago sure. when I was like super, super into the, the whole trilogy. hmm And you say
1: this is the series that got you into horror. So I guess, you know, specifically what I'm interested
3: in is like how that occurred. Honestly, I think, so, I mean, my memory is hazy now that I'm pushing 40 and Mm -hmm. I got into all of this back when I was, uh, you know, a preteen thereabouts. And like a lot of people, you know, I went to the video store with my parents and I went straight to the horror section because that's what I was interested in. And I saw the cover of Army of Darkness. And it just sort of uh, snowballed from there. Mm -hmm. Um, I could be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure Army of Darkness is the one that got me into the series and is very um, instrumental in getting me into horror. Mm Mm-hmm. So Ben Jason and it's, takes Manhattan. Yeah. And it's well, that's what I was gonna say. We you were on
1: our show for Jason Takes Manhattan, a movie that <laughs> you was. adore and love. And it's my least favorite of the series. It's one of the oh.
2: So just for like context, mm. you two are like like we're all buds. Yeah. And I so feel like you different. two are you two know each other pretty well and are speaking mm-hmm. like a bud language that I'm unaware of. Mm-hmm. And I need to know if you were being sarcastic or legit when you say. These things about Jason takes Manhattan. Cause I don't know if you mean that Brad loved it or not.
1: <laughs> no, he did. Like he was I, our is... guest on that. And I was stunned. Like, honest to God, you could <laughs> knock you could have knocked me out of my chair with the slight breeze with Brad's like unabashed enthusiastic. Go back and listen to the Jason <laughs> no, takes Manhattan that. episode.
3: I I I know that this is about Evil Dead too, but really quickly, Jason of takes course. Manhattan is like Army Darkness, and that it was one of the first Friday the 13th movies I saw. Mm-hmm. So I had that nostalgic love for it. I get that. that. Said, it tried to do something new without, you know, replacing Jason. But even then the the formula was there in, mm-hmm. in part five. Um, it started going a little off the rails and, you know, with the whole telekinesis and all of that in uh, part seven. Um, but it did something new. It swung for the fences and, you know, in retrospect, it's an absurd fucking film. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very clearly shot in like Vancouver or something like that. You mm-hmm. mean so in New Jersey? I'm pretty sure you can't just take a cruise boat up into New York. Lake, I going to say from, from a Crystal
2: Lake, lake from like Crystal it, Lake to New
0: York.
3: Yeah, yeah. None of it makes any <laughs> sense. But the kills are interesting. <laughs> the characters are interesting, and has an all time great uh, non Jason antagonist. Mm-hmm. it's me, got it's one just, of the most yeah. iconic deaths in the franchise with uh, julia's getting his head punched off mm-hmm. and that's it, true
2: the like, last three minutes are dope yeah.
3: <laughs> to me
1: it, just, I, it I has them. like the least interesting of any of the final girls in the series mm-hmm. um and i just think by this point like uh, you know it's if you called it like jason takes a cruise it's like the least populated senior class of all time like there are literally ten kids in this senior class. Like that's it. <laughs> I do agree. I do think that the human. A yeah, Jason takes a relaxing ferry ride would have been like a very apt name. Probably would have sold less tickets, and you wouldn't have had the iconic. No, but what's fun? What's actually what's funny is like Lindsay. You and I probably wouldn't be doing this show if it wasn't for Brad and Becky because like they. That's suggested true they suggested you for alien and then we had you on for alien and then history was made so
2: that's a true it's fact it's kind
1: of like i feel like i'm george costanza again right now and that my worlds are colliding here worlds are so. colliding yeah that is so, a true fact yeah it's a true fact and um, i and i and- love
2: that it was related to jason takes manhattan i actually like mm-hmm. Again, we'll pivot from Manhattan any second now. But I like don't really like Manhattan. I've watched it a bunch of times. I don't think it's very good. But then someone just casually was like, oh, it's one of my favorite aquatic horror films. And I was like, yeah, of course it is. And then I like laughed because I was like, That sounds so stupid. Like you can't see Brad is wincing, and like I agree, that was my reaction too. Mm -hmm. But then upon reflection, like yes, it's an aquatic horror movie, Lindsay, and you're being too hard on it Mm -hmm. by treating it like you're mad that they weren't in the city and they were on a dumb boat. Because you think about it as like an aquatic horror movie, you're like, okay.
1: But it's not Jason takes a dumb boat. It's it's not not, Jason takes Manhattan. It's not Jason takes to the high seas. It's
3: Jason (laughs) takes Manhattan. So. But is that like a title issue? have to deal with the elements associated with being out in the water, whether it's the weather, the sharks, gators, Cthulhu, what have you. I don't know. I don't don't know. know. I will say two things. Number one, in
1: terms of the you say it's the movie that swings for the fences. To me, Jason Goes to Hell is the movie that I really love swings for that's the my fence co-host i love right that there, everyone. that's my love co-host ladies and gentlemen are you giving me the finger or are you like no in... i
2: love jason goes to hell it's my favorite one
1: thank you thank you so <laughs> much X. i love love jason goes to hell um and what i'm very excited about and it's a little teaser we're gonna talk the jason goes to hell evil dead connection because
2: speaking of evil scoop. dead
1: so we'll we'll put a little pin in that that's for right now be um, of
2: evil dead mike what
1: was your intro to evil dead 2 so my intro to evil dead 2 was actually fangoria and i remember seeing like reading a um article about all the special effects and how bloody it was and it looked super interesting and this would have been i must have been like 87 so i would have been like 11 12 years old like i have a specific memory of like my grandmother's apartment and sitting in her living room and it's like There was like a Sunnydale convenience store that you could buy like the um, Fangoria's at. It's also where I bought my first dirty magazine as a teenager. Sorry, mom, if you're listening. Um, Lawrence Mass represents. But it was um, the ad that got me. So it was the skull and it was Evil Dead 2. And then it said double R. And like rated double R, like That's no one hard. under 17. Yeah, it was like rated, it was like an R rating on steroids. Um R and squared. I, yeah, and I know it came out like unrated in the end, but it was like this movie is so gory and bloody that it it's double R. Um, but I you didn't like see 20s? the movie. Yeah. I didn't see the movie until my twenties. Like I remember the Evil Dead 2 not even the steel case but it was a steel kind of like box that it came in with like the kind of cartoony art um and i remember like buying it after i'd seen army of darkness already um and then i watched the series in reverse order um and immediately being like oh my god how did i wait 20 something years to see this movie like this is the most brilliant shit ever um, and it just hit all of my, it hit all of my like things that I love about horror and I love about comedy and I love about like real, kind of like campy acting. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it's just like it's so perfect in that regard. And we mentioned this last week. I think that when people talk about the Evil Dead movies, what they're talking about is this movie and to a little bit of a lesser extent, Army of Darkness. But mm-hmm. when they think about like, Ash, like this is when when bruce campbell really becomes ash Mm -hmm. i think is in this movie right here so
2: yeah i actually think about that a lot (laughs) um Mm -hmm. like who is ash obviously that's silly because ash is like ash is a character that very much lives on and has you know, filled in a lot of blanks about himself. But I think, Mm -hmm. like, what are people thinking of? And I think we said this before, like, I tend to think that I'm thinking of Evil Dead 2 Ash, but so many of his catchphrases and moments are actually from Army of Darkness, from the, like, one second, like, Boomstick, Mm -hmm. um, Hail to the King, like, Mm -hmm. all of that is Army of Darkness, which is wild because I think we always kind of picture him in the shed. Um, but he does get the groovy. Is from
1: this. That's movie. what it, I think that when it yep. snaps into place, like the moment Ash snaps into place, is when you have those quick cuts. Which again, despite you see it again in Spider-Man too. Um, yeah. But you have those quick cuts, um, and then the pan up to his face, and then groovy. groovy. That's when Bruce Campbell
3: like becomes the Ash we know and love. Um, You're right might- though. If I can interject, uh, you're mm-hmm. right though about it being like the one that most people, you know, when they, Evil Dead pops up as Evil Dead 2. Um, so in Seattle, there is the first officially licensed Evil Dead 2 escape room. Mm-hmm. Um, Lindsay's face just dropped for the people listening in.
2: I'm on my it, way.
3: <laughs> you can do a virtual version of it too, which sidebar we should totally do one night. But yeah, no, it's yeah. it's officially licensed. You got a, a, a guide. Everyone is supposed to dress up when you go. It's supposed to be pretty in-depth. I have do an Ash
2: costume, OK? At
3: okay. the ready. <laughs> Excellent. We need to look more
1: into this. I think this is something we need to do. And I think what? we need to invite some of our patrons to do it with us. I'm
2: hyped.
1: This would be amazing. <laughs> this would be absolutely, I am fucking pumped for this. This would be amazing. Um, <sighs> Yeah, groovy. so it's very groovy. It is the definition of groovy. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about just in you know what's interesting. When we talk about the first movie, I think half of the show we spent on like the making of it because mm-hmm. there was just so much. that went into like the childhood friendships, getting the movie off the ground, forming the business partnerships. What's interesting in Bill Watterson says in like the Evil Dead companion book, he's like, look. The vast majority of this book is in the first movie because by the time Evil Dead 2 comes around, um, Ramy Tappert, and Campbell like, kind of knew what they were doing. Um, they had a much better handle on things and it was a much like smoother, smoother ride for the three of them in terms of getting this movie off the ground. Um, but the reason this movie happens is Ramy's follow-up feature, uh, co-written with the Coen brothers and directed by Ramy. Prime Wave is an absolute flop. Um, it's the first studio picture and it's troubled right off the bat. Like the studio comes in and immediately tells uh, Ramey like, sorry, we don't see Bruce Campbell as a lead actor. You have to replace him with our guy. Sorry, we're going to start cutting the budget. Like, what are you spending your money on? You can't spend it on this. And these pages need to be cut. Um, Ramey delivers a picture, which he kind of, wanted to do is more of a uh, comedy with like crime and murder and funniness and zaniness. Um And the studio takes it over in the editing, editing room. And ramy like says like, he knows he didn't make a great movie. He says he delivered them a C level movie, but by the time the studio put it out, it was like a D picture. And he and Tapper, like they're worried, like this movie flops and they're worried. Like our career is already over. Like, We are in purgatory. No one's going to want to give us money to make something else. Um, Enter back into the fray, Erwin Shapiro, who's been telling them since the first Evil Dead movie has come out, like, look, make a sequel. And I think that the the thing about Sam Raimi is like, we clamored for years after Army of Darkness, like make another horror movie, make another horror movie. And we're going to talk about that horror movie with our patrons this later this week and, and I how think that what, all went and how that went and i think what people <laughs> don't want is for sam Raimi to make a horror movie they want him to make evil dead movies um because sam Raimi deep down is not a horror movie guy he's a comedy guy he doesn't like horror movies because they litter- they scare him so he does not want to make them but what he does like to do is is he likes to make a profit That's why he sees this as a business. And he's like one of the few filmmakers, like when he goes to producers, he's like, I will make sure that you make your money back and you will get some in return, which is why like Ghost House Pictures focuses on low budget horror movies that he knows, like you get this much and we're not gonna lose anything. He's just really smart about it. Um, So Erwin Shapiro basically says we're doing Evil Dead 2. Like that's just what it is. You'll be successful uh and Lindsay, who comes in to help who comes in to make sure this picture gets off the ground
2: our good friend stephen king is back
1: Mm -hmm. back. he Uh, made
2: part one happen Mm -hmm. and he was not about to let part two disappear no he made it happen you reach out to our good friend dino de Laurentiis, Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. who
2: again to anyone who asks and most people who won't i will remind them is Giada de laurentis's grandfather
1: i don't know who that is
2: she is a famous tv chef
1: oh okay is giada, that sort of-
2: you know giada at home
1: mm-hmm.
2: um everyday italian
1: i can't picture it
2: uh giada entertains she's got like really big teeth she's famous she has like really big
1: teeth okay i need to look this up so this is gonna be fascinating for our listeners right now she's the giada. picture i
2: posted uh, when i got my rotten tomatoes approval i posted a woman <laughs> crushing tomatoes all over herself mm-hmm. that was her uh, big fan of the tomato.
1: Oh, I've seen her. She's lovely. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, so Jetta, I that is, mm-hmm. Jetta
2: is a horror royalty, which doesn't come up very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, these two worlds need to collide. It's very important mm-hmm. to me. They're, uh, you know, two primary worlds of mine. And finally, Jetta actually did an episode where she referenced uh, Hannibal and Florence. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ecstatic that she was finally like, my grandfather actually had a hand in these movies. Um, but anyway, Dina De Laurentiis, uh, pretty store silence of the lambs the uh state still as i far as i know actually owns the um rights to those stories which mm-hmm. is why uh the tv show hannibal has not overlapped with silence of the lambs mm-hmm. um but yeah so dino de Laurentiis, who at the time i believe was like making horror like italian horror movies a lot of italian Mm -hmm. b horror that was definitely what he was known for more at the time um but of course now we know him for some bigger hollywood horror pictures but uh yeah Stephen king King went to his good buddy dino correct yeah
1: and this is stephen king at the time is like directing maximum overdrive i think he's like sitting with one of the stage like one of the crew for evil dead 2 like what are you working on and he's like we're trying and this is like maximum coked out Stephen King like he can only go to breakfast with people because he can get powdered sugar to mask all the coke that is in his beard like this is him at his worst and he's just like he just picks up the phone like he gotta make Evil Dead 2 he called his
2: buddy like Dino yeah I'm just so like Dino I mean um you know he did like early Fellini movies and uh you know By this time, the most acclaimed things, I think, were Superco and Deathwish. Yeah. Um, So that's who he was. But yes, he produced um, a lot of adaptations of Stephen King's work, um, including Maximum Overdrive.
1: I'm going to unleash a very unpopular and unkind Stephen King opinion right now. You ready Uh for it? Okay. Stephen King is not nearly as fun to read ever since he got off the hard drugs gotta tell you the first half of king's career when he was like coked out of his mind everything up through oh, Knockers is just, like the last book he wrote when he before he got clean and Knockers is not a good book like that's just too much but like I gotta tell you man and he's still not read out, a ton of
0: king
2: so. yeah
1: I don't think like, I've ever
3: finished a Stephen King book
1: I at I one like point had read everything did. yeah I at one point had read everything um and I don't know. I just, it's going to be an unpopular opinion and I can be taken to task for it, but.
2: That's it, you're in trouble. Yeah. I actually haven't read, honestly, maybe any, I blew through, um, I mean, it's a short, but I read uh, Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm. for the King cast. And I think that might've been my first Stephen King book. Don't tell wow. them. I
0: don't
1: won't. tell them. I
2: don't want them to know that. I have a good reputation there.
1: I mean, i kind of <laughs> assumed they would be listening because their show's that damn good, you know? I mean, I mean kind of, of course. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> sorry.
1: Okay. don't tell them all right but that's um, my un- unpopular steven king your
2: king even well it if it weren't like, for king we wouldn't have king. evil dead too if he didn't call his buddy dino de laurentis
1: mm-hmm.
2: i still think it's just strong, like so
1: dope
2: yeah, yeah that's, that's if what it, it wasn't was. like, and, jacked up um and
1: Ramy talks about yeah. meeting with de Laurentiis. he's like says that the difference between meeting with dino and st- studios is based with the studio it's like we like your idea we got to go to this person. We got to go to this person. What if we do this? And it's just like, it's just like a lot of glad handing and back and forth. And it's like, no one just comes out and says, no, we don't want to make this movie. They just like keep kicking the can down the road long enough until you give up with Dino. They basically, they went in, they met with him. He listened to them for 15 minutes and he said, okay, you get, you want 4 million. I'll give you three and a half million that's all you're gonna get though like i'll give you three and a half to make the movie shake my hand we have a deal and they're like what and they and he said like we've pitched him other things and he said no but like it never takes more than 15 minutes and we always know whether we have a movie or not and how much he appreciated that
2: yeah god what a guy i want like i want the doc i want the book Mm -hmm. about dino but anyway
1: he he features prominently there's like the Sam, the flash gordon documentary about sam jones and i know he features like very prominently in that because he basically was like sam jones like you you don't come in and tell me what to do and he ruined his career after that so it's a really interesting documentary so um okay so someone here has the note that it started off as army of darkness who wants to talk about that
3: yeah the uh the initial script uh, i believe uh was more or less evil dead but in the medieval setting Mm -hmm. and then uh uh dino was basically just like no go back to the cabin (laughs) and correct me if i'm wrong um because a lot of this is you know uh from what the evil Dead companion and mm-hmm. uh, if chins could kill, which been a while since I've read them, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he was just like, no, just go back to the cabin. Yeah. Um, and you know, they ended up just doing it for the third one,
1: yeah, yeah. The cabin was always in the script, and I think they, the original, um, well, at first, like Josh Becker writes a script for the movie, the one of the assistant directors who stuck with them for the whole 12 weeks. Um, they give him a crack, but Ramy just like hates the script. Like he just doesn't like it at all. Um, so he hands it over to like, he co-writes it with his like childhood friend, Scott Spiegel, who was they originally approached him to be like a partner in Renaissance pictures, but he just didn't have the collateral to put into it. And he's always kind of regretted it. He's kind of like, Oh man, like I he kicks himself looking back on it. Um, and I guess like they tell the story of like Raimi and Spiegel like writing the script together and just like cracking each other up as they're writing it with the gags that they're gonna put in. And a lot of it was gonna be set in the um, medieval times, but they realized quickly like they just can't do that for you know, a little bit over three and a half million dollars. Like the budget's not gonna be there. So that's why you only get like the last two minutes oh, of the piece there, yeah.
2: Um, yeah, apparently like the script writing process was like, maybe anyway, but yes, I believe you're right. It definitely changed. Um, and they do, I, yeah, I read that it was like a budget thing. They were like, there's just no universe where we can get a Mm. medieval epic in this budget. Um, so they went back to the cabin.
1: Yep.
2: Trimmed their cast and added some new characters.
1: That's what they do. And they decide, they shoot it in North Carolina. Like they're told by De Laurentiis, like shoot it near me in North Carolina. They picked a town that was three hours away from his headquarters. I wanna say his headquarters are in Greensboro um, or Charlotte or Charlotte, North Carolina, but they go to Wadesboro. It's three hours away because specifically because they don't want him coming on set and being like, well, do this or spend your money here. And uh, Tabbert says at one point before they start shooting, Laurentius calls him up and says, I need you to come to my office tomorrow. And Tabbert makes a drive up and he goes, how long did it take you to get here? He's like three hours. He's like, just so you know, I'm never making the drive down. Here. He was actually a little bit pissed off. Like it was a total power move on, Tabbert, on De Laurentius' part to say like, I know why you did this. I'm not happy about it. Therefore I'm wasting your time today. Um, ass, to show you but yeah, also very
2: to, shitty,
1: yeah, so that's a <laughs> power that. move. So <laughs> they take over a high school in Wadesboro, North Carolina, and I think like I read this in like you said, Brad, like if chins could kill if chins could kill, I don't think Bruce Campbell gets enough credit for like his being a producer mm-hmm. and like how smart he is on that side of things like because he's like Bruce Campbell is like a persona that we see as fans. Um and it's kind of like when you see Bruce Campbell you see Ash right yeah, I mean that's exactly. really yeah. what it is um, but it's a guy who was like as a he knew enough like when he went to pitch the movie to Wadesboro he was in front of the school board members and he's like oh you run a lumber company he's like that's great like we need like these things built if we can use your high school like y- we can you can be the lumber dude oh you run like a an alarm service, Well, service, we're obviously gonna need like fire alarms and CO2 alarms. Um, so you can be our alarm people. And he just went down the line to every member of the school board that could add something that he could, and he does this in a lot of the movies he produced where he'd be like, if you don't have any money for us, like we still need gas for the trucks and you run a gas company. So can we make a deal with you for that? Um, yeah. He's just like really smart in that regard. Like in ways you wouldn't really, really think of, but behind the scenes, like he knows what he's doing.
2: Yeah. Bruce is like a savvy guy. We talked about that um, last episode, like all the stuff that they got in kind for the first movie when they had, you know, a very, a much smaller budget, I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, the whole like Ash persona, like he's got this quote, Bruce Campbell, the character, and then there's like Bruce Campbell, the guy and they're very different people. And it's a really cool thing when you actually see that like veil pierced where he like Mm -hmm. turns off the Bruce Campbell character Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh yeah, he's like a very smart, savvy, calm, warm dude who like is here to work. Like, you know, you hear him talking about his shows and his like over the top silly ways and you can tell what's canned and you can tell what's like, you know, he's supposed to say. And then you just get that like one moment of him being like, yeah, you know, we pitched it, but uh, it didn't go super well. No one wants both. And, mm-hmm. like, you get that, like, Bruce guy, the business guy. And he's mm-hmm. so, so different. And, yes, yeah. very smart and capable, from what I know. I mean, I'm not he, well, intimately
1: like, aware like, of. Like, like, when he told oh, you, dude. like, I don't want to talk Gore gags. Like, he was so oh, fed my up. He's like, I don't want to talk Gore. <laughs>
2: no, that was still, like, in character, which made it so mm-hmm. scary. <laughs> <laughs> he's so scary. <laughs> he's the scariest guy in the world. I love him so much. Um, yeah, he's so scary. No, the time that I caught him was... I had a very scary interaction with him actually the year before and I was like super intimidated but then I was like you know what I'm gonna wait in this line to get him to autograph my picture and I was just like oh I hate that he's like in character all the time because it was a scary experience and I didn't enjoy it and then um he was just like a totally different guy like his voice was different even you know Hmm. and he was just like hey so uh, how do you like Toronto or like some bullshit like that like whatever they say and um kind of had just like a real conversation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this was worth it. Nice. But I waited in this line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he,
1: he talks in his bio, like just little things, like how when he's on a set, he's like, yeah, a lot of actors like won't eat with like the grips or the crew. Like they, a lot of actors who put like a very clear line between themselves and they don't want to mix. He's like, he's like, I never saw a problem He's like, why wouldn't I want to mix? Because if I can like befriend these people and um, just kind of like talk, you know, and basically treat them like human beings, um, there's going to be a point where I might need something. Like I might need, hey, give me a little bit better lighting or make sure that I have this like prop that I need done. Like just something that's going to benefit him in some way and not in a way where he's like, do you know who I am? But just because, oh, this person treated me well and therefore general human nature is, we treat the people who treat us well, kindly, too. So yeah. he's just been, like, really savvy in that regard. Um, so, I, you know, it's one of the things I really liked about Reed. His bio is fantastic. If Chins Could Kill is... Oh, it's phenomenal. Fantastic. And then like, I think really the third
2: one's not... Out. He always keeps calling... He refers to them as a trilogy, but I think it's only mm-hmm. Hail to the Chin and If Chins Could Kill that exist.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so I haven't read Hail to the Chin yet. Hmm. I
2: haven't
1: read it either, so I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, After, but he so. always
2: refers to them as a trilogy, so I assume the assumption is. I assume the assumption. Wow. Yes. Uh, I'm a podcaster, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Um, my assumption is that there's a third one coming.
1: Okay, we'll definitely be on the lookout. And I know that um, he's hosting an Evil Dead like virtual screening. There's been like a lot of news about that lately, he is. And there are tickets on sale for it. And
2: it either 30- like just happened or is about to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm tempted to look that up later and see if I can hop in on that. So, that I did. I like pulled
2: it up and I was like, oh, this will be really good. This will give us some like good tidbits for mm-hmm. the show. Um, and
1: it's like $200. Yeah. It was like, some... it
2: was legit. It was pricey. And I was like,
1: oh, for a not. virtual <laughs> screening. Maybe I'll just throw yeah. the commentary on and pretend I'm there then. Maybe yeah. that's it. I was okay. like, this
2: is a lot for a virtual screening. Like, just yeah. pop that QA on YouTube. Like, what are you doing? Well, I, um, I think it was like so. Texas
1: Chainsaw Massacre. Like, they did the whole not bunch of virtual screenings and q a's and that's one of my favorite movies ever and then i looked at it was like really early in quarantine and then i looked Mm. at the pricing and i'm like this is insane pricing right now like
2: yeah it's i mean good for them and i don't begrudge the pricing like i'm not making fun of it and if you can you know if you got the scruples to throw at it definitely do it because it looks awesome but they're also like tiers where you get like a thing autographed by him in the mm-hmm. mail and you can get like a chainsaw autographed by him no. or something oh, like there's tears it was just enough that i was like oh i've also like to be fair seen bruce campbell live like six times so i was mm-hmm. like i really can't justify paying the yeah. same amount for a virtual panel when i've like <laughs> loses seen a bit of the novelty that many, yeah i've yeah. seen him do many the live panels.
1: <laughs> we've had Gunnar hansen hosted a screening of texas chainsaw massacre cool in Boston before his passing, and they had a live orchestra play, uh, oh, which you yeah. think would be great, but that part of it was probably the weakest part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they literally, because um, Brookline, Mass, is a thing where parking lots have to be empty by two in the morning, or some like time, um, and the theater literally had to give him the boot. Like you cannot answer any more questions because people will get their cars towed. Wow, he was just like the nicest most gracious person and was just fascinating mm-hmm. to listen to him like talk about his experience making that movie and then talk about like his painting and writing books of poetry <laughs> after. Yeah. so so rest in peace Gunnar Hansen so yeah, wow.
0: Um,
1: all right so that's really the backdrop of the movie I mean like they film it in a high school the mm-hmm. gym becomes the setting for the cabin so you don't have like the rundown dilapidated cabin with three inches of cow poop and <laughs> but you know, they're all haunted. stuffed in yeah you get some like
2: exterior shots
1: yep you do get a little mm-hmm. exterior but mm-hmm. you know the uh, i think they say like the chemistry lab becomes the special effects cool. studio and then mm-hmm. like the cafeteria is where craft services so they're you know serving everybody like the school lunches basically becomes like the craft services um it's just this really it sounds like an a very fun way to make a movie because everything is just right there then doing it in the school sounds kind of neat
2: school is the way that's how they did home Uh, alone
3: yeah i would absolutely love to be on set where they serve those little square pizzas that you had back in high school Mm mm-hmm shit rules yeah.
2: school cafeteria craft services we got I'm sure the, it's not that far off
1: we got the square pizza with the square cheese sticks and carrot sticks and you would take the square cheddar cheese sticks and like <laughs> match them into the pizza and be like double cheese i oh. never
2: had that kind of stuff
1: what did you have in canada
2: we didn't have like well i mean i can't speak for like all of canada certainly but we definitely we didn't have like school lunches what? um you don't no. eat
3: this giant like we brought lunch from
2: home you brought lunch mm-hmm. from home or you went out and bought it after i can't remember what elementary grade school
1: like elementary school like those school yeah, i think it was
2: grade six or seven so our elementary is uh kindergarten to eight and then we have mm-hmm. high from nine to twelve it used to be nine to thirteen oh, and huh. um in grade six or seven you can get your parents to sign a form that you're allowed to leave and go buy lunch and, and then- how old are you
1: with that? like what year is that like grade how old were what, so you?
2: What's 7
0: 5?
1: So you'd be 12 years old and leaving. Wow. We got <coughs> senior privileges in high school where as a senior you could leave, but I
0: oh, no, that. We could was leave it. Yeah. We parents
1: years had to, like old, sign a form. we could wandering go the street. We <sighs> get, get like to Taco Bell, small,
2: like suburban <laughs> whatever. and We'd all go buy pizza from Italia Pizza. Shout out to Italia Pizza Richmond.
1: <laughs> no blow, um, blow Oh, now me.
2: everyone knows where I'm from. Um yeah. That's where we go. We get pizza.
1: Do I need to bleep that uh, part out?
2: We go. No, that's okay. Okay. We go to Becker's, our Canadian Canadian, uh, 7-Eleven, basically, Mm -hmm. um, and get ice cream on the way back.
1: Uh, This, honest to God, more than anything I think we've ever talked about on the show, it blows my mind that at age 12, they're like, yeah, just leave campus. Just just go wander the streets for pizza.
3: I'm in
2: high school. You could do whatever you wanted.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't allowed to leave campus for uh for lunch in the high school. I don't even think seniors' kid is total bullshit. Yeah, that is. What?
2: Oh my gosh, we were allowed to. I mean, we were allowed. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's um. Yeah, we were wild. We definitely did. I mean, most of the time we just went to like our friends' houses at lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, they, to watch movies. we
1: we have like free school breakfasts and lunches at the school I work at as a counselor which is That's great good. Which Is awesome and i think that actually i read yesterday that in 2021 like school lunches in the country are going to be free period which is awesome mm-hmm. um and hopefully that will just become a thing um but like a lot of kids like they still won't take them and i'm kind of like i forgot my lunch today dude why don't you just like go grab a lunch and then say i want to see the counselor and then bring me a lunch all right because <laughs> I was <laughs> so.
2: We had um, we'd have pizza lunch and hot dog lunch on um, mm-hmm. like once a month.
3: Oh, our we had that's like every day at our we pizza is like the thing. It's yeah.
2: like a special day.
3: We had like a side a la carte, so they had like the daily lunch thing. Mm-hmm. I love how off topic this is going. You <laughs> know, they well, had like the, to, the, they, they had podcast, the daily Brad. lunch thing where you know, like you know, it's you know mac and cheese or just some other god awful thing made in the cafeteria but then they had uh, like an a la carte option where you can get bagels these big ass cookies that were the fucking bomb slices of dino's pizza for a buck 50. um i gained so much weight in high school just because it's like oh, i got five yeah bucks. i gained
2: a lot of weight in high school because like, um yeah we had we had a cafeteria i always brought my lunch or like and then we would also have a cafeteria and I'd be like mm-hmm. i'm gonna get fries also
3: Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure we had fries too. Fuck, I'm gonna go back to high school.
2: Yeah, we had fries, we, we had poutine. That was the only thing that we had every day was poutine. And then there was
1: like <laughs> poutine in school lunch. Oh, and we consider yeah. it like a delicacy. Like when we yeah. the few times I've gone to Canada, I'm like, I can't wait to get, can't poutine. Wait to get
0: poutine.
2: You
3: know, yeah. and it's just it like wasn't like thing good
2: there. food. Well, I mean, we thought it was good. Um, when we
3: went to Fantasia yeah. back in 2019 when we first met Lindsay. Uh, yeah. literally every meal I went to, I had poutine. Just because like I'm rarely Mm. gonna eat this back in the States, so I'm just gonna eat it. Like I wanted it so bad my last night there, I went to a fucking McDonald's and got it. It was the only (laughs) thing happened at
2: McDonald's oh man, Quebec's wild. That's
3: great. Favorite. I think it was
1: like all dressed chips, like the all dressed ruffles, and then Rolo chocolate milk, which we don't have here. It's like chocolate (laughs) caramel milk. And it's my when I go to Canada, it's like I will smuggle a case of that back home with me
3: i can't so
2: hook good. you up with milk because it probably but i can hook you up with all dress chips ask brad that is a fact mm,
3: yeah i had okay. never had them before you sent them and they're pretty damn good they're dope
1: i love our diversions by the way i think the <laughs> diversions know, we're very are,
2: we're professionals speaking of
1: speaking of diversions canada
2: close to michigan where they shot the exterior shots which is not close to, to
1: north carolina very far no. away so <laughs> let's talk why we love this movie? What is it about? Let's get into the movie, how it starts, and here's the uh, here's the place to do it. Evil Dead 2. Yep. Is it a sequel? Is it a remake? What is it?
2: Okay, count a of three. We'll all say oh. it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. The options are sequel, remake, uh,
0: Requel. standalone.
2: Those are the options. Okay. okay. One, two, three. sequel Sequel. good luck editing that by the way
1: that's all right i think it'll (laughs) plan out perfect i think so
3: we're all on board it's a sequel right
1: yeah yeah so so where does the confusion
3: come from the first seven minutes and three seconds (laughs) i timed it well basically
2: yeah i think uh yeah what brad said i mean there's this flashback rehash redo retry that the movie does in the first seven minutes i'll let brad take that
3: yeah, no, like I I understand the viewpoint, um, that it is a rebank, mm-hmm. but because there are a ton of similarities, but you start asking those other questions. Uh, I think you had, you had uh, mentioned in the notes, like why would he come back to the place,
0: mm-hmm.
3: or, or or stuff like that, uh, or that's like what people use, um, as logic for all this, but. Ultimately, the, the reason the first seven minutes are the way that they are is because when Evil Dead got international distribution, it got distributed to tons of, uh, tons of different companies bought the rights, some of which were out of business. They just simply couldn't get the rights to recap it. So rather than sh- reshooting it all with five people, they're like, okay, well, we just need to get Ash back to the cabin, which is why at seven minutes and three seconds, the sequel component takes off. Is no. it different? It is different and I do think the movie suffers for it. As I mentioned earlier, like there's this lack of character development that goes in a completely different direction but it does deal with the um, the effect of everything that happened in the first movie condensed into those seven minutes and how it affects uh, Ash moving forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, but like I said, I totally get why people think it can be a remake. Uh, but beyond, you know, the actual reason, like the, the, the objective reasoning behind shooting it how they did, um, Evil Dead 2, right there, uh, why would you remake your own fairly successful low-budget horror film? and actually make it as different as you did. Like, there are so many questions you can ask. Plus, it's just the intent of the matter. The intent was to make a sequel. Yeah. Ergo, it's a sequel. It may be an odd sequel, but it is a sequel nonetheless.
2: I agree. Like, I've always accepted it as a sequel. Um, I kind of, even the first time and every time I watch the opening scene, I kind of just, like, buy into it as some, like, bizarre flashback like almost like those movies like where you know it's like the 1408 to chat about our good friend Stephen King again where it's like you think you're out but then you actually were inside the whole time I mm-hmm. kind of like viewed it like that like ash thinks that he's out but for whatever reason he goes back to the cabin and actually he never left is kind of how I've always read it which I don't think was the intention that's just always how I've like read it mm-hmm. um I think there's certain hints like when they re listen to when they listen to the tape Um, which is almost like oh ash is listening to the tape again to you know unleash the deadites but it actually says it's a different tape and it says log number two so i was kind of like oh, he's listening to more tape um is how i've again also viewed it but yeah so i think like from like that perspective alone i think that's what the movie was trying to do um the other thing like extrapolating what you said about how they didn't have the rights to the recap they actually didn't have the rights to the movie at all so I don't really know logistically and I'm sure huh. someone can answer it um or maybe you know a little, a couple more hours of research would have answered this logistically like I don't know how they ended up being able to call it Evil Dead 2 because they don't know the rights to that movie at all not just the footage like the story so they couldn't tell it as like the continuation of mm-hmm. Evil Dead huh. it's it's a story that they don't have and like it comes up a lot because everyone's always like why is there no evil dead box set like why don't we have a trilogy box set it's because different studios own the movies like the evil dead 2 and then evil dead 2 and army of darkness are owned by different entities so there isn't a box set of the three of yeah. them for that reason um yeah so like they kind of had to recap it to be like no this is a standalone movie that's its own story completely which and, you know, Bruce has talked about it lots of times. He's talked about that story. He's called it a requel and yeah. kind of explained it. But I've always just kind of read it as like a wink. It's log two, wink, right. wink, you know?
1: Right. So when he spells it a requel, it makes me question how much head trauma that he suffered.
2: <laughs> he doesn't like gore.
1: so But he gets knocked around a lot. You can get, you know, head trauma is the stuff you don't see. It's your head getting patched <laughs> around on the inside. Yeah. Um, I consider it a sequel, but I can see because to me it's like the fr- it, it's like the Rocky movies where Rocky every Rocky movie like begins with like a recap of like the big fight from the previous movie and then it like just goes immediately into the next film and like to me that's how this movie operates as well like it's like also like Halloween like Halloween ends with uh, or Halloween 2 begins with the ending of Halloween and then immediately jumps into uh, like seamlessly into Halloween, uh, Halloween too. Um, for those that would call it a remake where I can see like you had said, Brad, a lot of the, that, the moments in the cabin where it's just Ash are bigger, louder, better attempts to redo what they did in the first movie. Like the mirror scene is the one that really jumps out. Like in the first movie, it just puts a hand through it like it's water. Um, and this one you know you get him popping through the mirror in a really cool sequence um, so you could see where they're kind of redoing that but and also it, it still boils down to like five people in the cabin when all is said and done even though it takes longer to get all five there i'm interested because mm-hmm. to me like you said a couple times like the first movie is better character development to me like there's almost no character development
3: in the first movie um I mean, I think you get a really good idea of who who these people are, but the second one is obviously such a different setup. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're obviously cutting the characters out. So like the other characters, you know, the daughter of the nobies and uh her, her boyfriend or bike or partner, I can't recall. Mm-hmm. Uh and then um the other two. Um, you know, we, we know who they are and we know everything about that. But like Linda and Ash. Like, they straight up said that, you know, let's... It's If I recall correctly, and, and someone chime in if I'm wrong, is it had been five years since Evil Dead 2 was... Or Evil Dead was made. So they're like, oh, people have forgotten about it. So we need to bring people up to speed just to get Ash back in the cabin. Mm-hmm. So, and I can't believe I'm admitting this. or some people who would run with this if they ever actually heard this. Um... I do still think it's a sequel. I'm softening my my stance on people being obsessed with it being a remake. Because I can see both viewpoints very yeah. strongly. But I always just kind of defer to the intention of the filmmakers. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's the beauty of, of cinema in general. You know, you're allowed to form your own interpretations. If, yeah. You know, there's a variety of ways to look at these things. But um. But yeah, and then like in Evil Dead 2, you know, you got those first seven minutes, is like, it happens all so fast. You know, they're in the car, they get to the cabin, they find a the tape recorder, she gets possessed, cuts off her head, blown through the uh, the door, boom, it's, the new movie yeah. picks up. It's boom, boom, boom. It's very, very quick. Yeah. Um, I, I just wish but, they would have done what Halloween 2 did. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I understand the year gap and wanting to bring people up to speed, but also, like, it's not your job. I'd imagine even back in the 80s, way back when, people would be like, oh, I haven't seen Evil Dead. But Evil Dead 2 looks intriguing. I'm going to watch them both.
1: You know, I just wonder if they thought, because the first Evil Dead movie plays, like, the drive-in circuit, it plays, like, it kind of, like, doesn't get a, a wide release. It plays, like, New York for a couple weeks, and it rakes in a ton of money. Then it moves to L.A. for a week, and it does okay. It doesn't, like, you know, it's it's hard to... N- really know of a time where like now like a movie opens on three thousand screens and it opens all at once like whereas you know in even movies that um have um lesser rollouts they still open all at once and everybody has the opportunity to see everything if you're saying like well now that we have like four million dollars to make a movie rather than half a million we're going to actually get on more screens and maybe like because people wouldn't have seen the first movie because the home market although it's like part of the reason why these movies are successful is because of the home rental market Mm -hmm. um, it still wouldn't have been like as pervasive in 87 as it would go on to be like over the next few years so I just wonder if that's part of it too
2: honestly I would assume yeah Yeah. like a lot of, yeah, I would assume that it was just a very different audience that you're reaching out to.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and exactly, like it ditches a lot of the main characters. And I think it's just because even, like, we talked about this last episode, how, like, Ash doesn't seem to care about any of the characters at all except Linda, and, like, mm-hmm. one of them's his sister.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And he's like, oh, okay. And then, Lin- like, she dies, like, brutally. <laughs> yeah. And then Linda dies, and he's like, no. Mm-hmm. no! <laughs> um so I guess it was just kind of like let's just skip here and then yeah. you know I don't know every detail of the script writing process but it's Linda's necklace that takes him back from being a deadite into mm-hmm. his humanity um so I guess they were just kind of like okay we gotta slap her back in here
1: yeah <laughs> we, so there's yeah. a little and I think they originally asked I think it was like Brit not Britt Baker Britt Baker is a pro wrestler she's a dentist and pro wrestler for AEW hmm. um Same. I want to say it's Rook um, now I'm now I'm I'm screwing up the name right now and I feel really bad, but they asked her initially, the original Linda, to come back initially.
0: Oh
2: yeah,
1: and she declined. And my gut feeling is like everybody that wasn't Bruce, Sam, and Rob on the original even Evil Dead, uh, Betsy Baker, who played mm. Linda in the first movie, were pretty much like. Wanted to see the back end of that movie and like never talk about it again <laughs> until they realize, hey, we can do the convention circuit and actually have a nice little second career off it and good for Camelized them for the it. rest
2: of our lives. And they should,
1: I mean, as yes, they should. Hell yeah. Um, but they were like, no, I am not coming back to do this under any circumstances after what you put me through. And <laughs> that person. i to be busy that day. Yeah, I'll be busy. When we um, get Linda
2: back, I mean, we've got um, Denise Bixler this time as Linda. And I don't know how much actual, like how much of the movie she's really in. Like she has her opening scene, but then she's kind of a stop motion puppet for a lot of her yeah. appearance.
1: Really not much. I mean, really she's in it for like maybe three minutes and then yeah. a couple like insert shots with her head and that's really it. And she would only have like two other credits, I think acting credits or her name um, the woman who plays Annie, I think she appears in Shud too. And that's really about it. Um, it's, I think, uh, Cassie Wesley, who plays Bobby Joe. She kind of moves right from Evil Dead into soap operas. And mm. from, like, the late 80s until really present day. Like, she's been in One Life to Live and General Hospital and Days of Our Lives. Like, she's not somebody that, like, I would know. But she's done like one over like twelve hundred episodes of like soap operas.
3: Oh wow. So um, the, the lack of Linda um, in the in the second one sort of also confirms the the notion that it's not a remake. Yeah. That it's a sequel. Um, and that, I mean that's conjecture on my part. That's mm-hmm. more like if you are going to remake it you do still want to have the driving force behind a lot of Ash's actions um, to be ha- to have a more uh, a greater presence and like i said she she shows up she's gone that stop motion scene is incredible uh, probably the best scene in the movie i think that
2: dance yeah. is unbelievable yeah. oh yeah. it's
3: so great in the little waltz that's playing i was and, um, and it just
2: keeps like cutting to Ash looking through the like yeah. pant- the boarded up window. Yep, Ugh.
3: I do feel like a lot of uh, of Evil Dead Two. Again, this is me revisiting it today for the first time, and God knows how long. A lot of it sort of feels like, hey, we have this budget, so let's try and fit in more. This might not make much sense, but like especially towards the end, you've got. All of the stop motion animation, like the the neck stretching out and the giant demon at the end, I'm watching it and I'm like, I don't like this. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like this at all.
0: What? Yeah, I was
3: not. Uh, they didn't either.
1: Like Sam Raimi didn't either. Um, that if you there's a the behind the scenes doc on making the movie that sequence at the end originally went on much longer they shot a lot more of it and then when they re when they watched it and cut it together they're like you can see like the black lines that are holding the puppet up they talk mm-hmm. about how a like when you actually the makeup work in this movie is inc- I think it's incredible mm-hmm. and I definitely want to talk about Mark Showstrom a little bit in in a little bit but they do say like when you look at the actual makeup or you look at the puppets a lot of the times like there's no motion to them it's just looks like they're very blank and they contrast it with say like what um I think it's Phil Tippett who we showed his um some of his stop motion work at Telluride I think the first oh. year Mad that God. I hosted yeah Mad God I think he was like the first year mm-hmm. um because that was a year like we could not get away from he- Frank Cannon Hennen- Frank Frank Cannonlotter if we tried <laughs> He was just everywhere. It was amazing. He's a talker. Gee, God love him. He's a talker and he has a lot of awesome stories, but sometimes you're like, dude, I just want to sleep. I'm gonna go. <laughs> um, but they compare, like, I think this is the same year that Robocop comes out and the stop animation work in that movie. Much bigger uh-huh. budget, of course. Yeah. Um, so Raimi, like, he chopped a lot of that scene out with the puppet. Well, you look at it, yeah. It looks like a cheap puppet that's just kind of like being pulled on strings, so i would agree it doesn't quite work um i will say though i would take that i did watch for our patreon we're recording on i re-watched uh Drag me to hell last night it's a movie i like more than some others do but the cgi in that is so glaring and so bad oh, so that bad. i would much rather have like bad puppetry than bad cgi
3: CGI, the acting, the story.
1: <laughs> Listen, we'll
2: save it. We'll <laughs> save it for the
3: paper. Yes. The Two puppetry is
2: up. I would way rather watch like a kind of janky um, stop motion. I actually, so I usually watch set at home on my medium sized TV. I watched mm-hmm. uh, Evil Dead 2 for this podcast in preparation on my parents' like big giant fancy TV. And it's a very different experience and actually the cut that I was watching I guess was mostly remastered but a couple things weren't so it would Mm -hmm. like change angles and it would look like a really grainy shitty thing and then Mm -hmm. would change back um, to looking really really fancy and so watching the stop motion like you're really seeing it and I have to say like it looks great like it I would way rather watch like janky looking um, you know stop motion that looks like stop motion and is fun is weird than like bad cartoony mm-hmm. cgi yeah i think
1: that i think the other scene that jumps out is when ash drives to the bridge mm-hmm. and you have like the kind of wonderful like matte painting and then oh, pose the bridge like, clause is such a gorgeous gorgeous image um i love how that looks and I would much rather have that than like, say like a green screen mm-hmm. effect, you know, like to me, it just, it, it gives us this real tangible, but also the stop motion, the matte paintings, it gives it like a real kind of nightmarish kind of surreal quality yes. that I think really lends itself to this movie.
2: It's very like, obviously these movies first, it's very Beetlejuicy. Yup,
1: yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, now that you mentioned it, the, the neck stretching scene at mm-hmm. the end, mm-hmm. very much the neck stretch.
2: Beetlejuice
3: snake. Uh, yeah, at the end of Beetlejuice, is it? Yeah, yeah I've been forever since I've seen
1: that movie too. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is like a, a you know Mark Showstrom is the head of special effects and makeup work for this movie. He's someone who I don't think he gets enough when we talk about like the masters of like horror makeup and horror special effects. Obviously, we talk like Rick Baker, Rob Bottin, Tom Savini, the gentleman from K um, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think Shostrom really gets the credit that he's due. I can mm. tell you that, like his, the first Elm Street I saw was Freddy's Revenge, and his the the scene where Freddy pops out of Jesse and, like tears him open and comes out of it. Obviously, it's kind of like their take on the American world in London scene but to me like that is the i I saw this first that was the special effect that made me a lifelong gore hound horror movie fan um he did work on phantasm 2 which is also the first phantasm i saw um his special effect work is so good um i love the stuff that he does and he's someone still working to this day um he seems to work on all the sequels like Poltergeist three, Phantasm 2, he's Freddy's Revenge. Like he's the guy you call in like after the first movie <laughs> to come in. Um, interesting dude. Apparently, like he's one of the one of the foremost experts on like the Black Dahlia case in Los Angeles. Like that's one of his oh, wow. passions. Um he's um he's incredible. This is like one of K B's like first jobs, like Greg Nicotero, Howard Berger, and Robert Kurtzman, who I, to this day, still do some incredible work. And I think they put themselves to good use here. So let's talk the, like, to your to your point, Lindsay, the blood, because everything is amped up in this
2: movie. Yeah, this movie is amped up. This movie takes, like, all the gross stuff from part one. It's not even that gross. It's not a gross movie in part one. Mm-hmm. It's not even that gross. But it, it turns it up and this is where we get the, like, fountain of blood.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Which I mm-hmm. think is, like, at this point synonymous with the Evil Dead series. Yeah. Um and we literally get, like, I I mean, I love, I've talked about it on other episodes and I will talk about it on more episodes. Um, I always love the, like, versions of blood we get in different movies. And this is, like, really bad in, like, the most perfect best way. It is red-tinted water. It's, like, orangey-red. Yeah. It's very <laughs> clearly the consistency of water.
0: It, it looks like Kool-Aid. Out. Yeah, it looks yeah. like Kool-Aid.
2: <laughs> yeah, it does. It just, like, shoots out like a fountain, and it is so great it is so funny it is so gross and scary and i feel like that's what i mean that's what i love about this movie this this is the only thing and um you know, it is one of the things that i very much love it is what has been carried through to things like ash versus evil dead and um through the musical and this movie just has a lot of fun with yeah.
1: it yeah it's ridiculous um How much blood and there's points are like, it's, and I know that like when they originally shot it, Raimi was trying to get like an R rating for the movie. Mm -hmm. So he said, we can cover Bruce in as much red stuff as possible. And they stuck with the original for Bruce. They stuck with the original caro syrup formula. Um, Mm -hmm. That's why his tends to stick with him. And it's just this real like viscous, gross, Mm -hmm. disgusting where when it pours out of the um, fruit cellar, again, it just looks like red Kool-Aid coming yeah. out of it. It's amazing. It's awesome. Um, but they would change the color like to oily black at some point, or yep. when they're chopping the deadites, it's like a bright green, and the thought yeah, was-
2: they have like Vulcan blood coming yeah. out of the deadites.
1: Yeah, and they thought they could get the R rating if they were able to change like the color of the blood, and the studios are like, eh, still way too much dismemberment in this movie for our liking
2: there's like not even just the blood there's like some anecdote where so dino had a deal with the dino i call him by his first name Mm -hmm. had like some distributor or sorry deal with the mpaa about ratings and so Mm -hmm. and his production company and he actually like created like a fake shell stu- yeah. like they created a studio rose called like Bud something pictures. white rose what did no, you call it
1: rosebud pictures right
2: rosebud <laughs> pictures <laughs> um to be like it's not mine yep. um this can be r-rated yeah uh, which i think is a fun anecdote and yeah they mm-hmm. mess with the blood and like that's legit like changing the color of the blood and changing the tone of the blood has changed ratings
1: mm-hmm. in movies a lot yeah. which is very weird and, and fun the fact. other thing that stands out the henrietta suit in this oh my movie. god and it's it's poor ted ted. Ramey. Yeah. ted ramey and i love this quote that i looked up and it was in the evil dead the oral history um ted Raimi says i was 20 20 year olds have no regard for their mortality or anyone else's i was the perfect age to be in that movie <laughs> it's, it's something like a 20 something pound rubber suit that took hours to get in um he couldn't see what the contact lens is And it would just fill with, because they're in North Carolina shooting in the summer. It's going to be hot. There's no air conditioning. There are scenes in the movie and I have not caught this, but he says you can see when he's flailing around, sweat is pouring out of his ear because of how much it collected in the prosthetic and just sweat is just like filling out of his ear. But it's such a gorgeous, gorgeous costume.
2: Yeah, I mean it looks great, but it is very gross. And,
1: and, and yeah, and <laughs> Showstrom talks, like Showstrom's he done some sketches for it and he says he gave them to Raimi and he's like he had like this really like slender, almost like sickly woman in mind. Like, you know, oh of course she would be rotted out. There'd be nothing there. And Raimi's like, Ah, this isn't what I want. Like I don't know what it is, but um at yeah. the end of the day, I think what this movie is about, it's the Bruce Campbell show. Like mm-hmm. uh, he's pretty much the only character until minute 37. Um, but this is really about Bruce and Ash becoming the Ash that we know, and I, I'm here for it. I love
3: everything about his performance in this movie. It, I
2: love Ash Williams, yeah. It's also,
3: a testament to Bruce Campbell's acting abilities, yeah. Yeah, like I'm obviously he's calling from the uh, the, the Three Stooges mm-hmm. mentality of that very physical animated. Slapstick comedy type of mm-hmm. acting, uh, but he's—I mean—he's just so good at good at it. It's really yeah. hard to sustain a movie, or in this case, about a third of a movie, by yourself. Yeah, when little all you're doing is talking to yourself, and you're doing like the hand acting. Yeah, which is great. Um, and like slamming the the plates on his head. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just—it's definitely a testament to his acting, and it really is a shame that he never got a true starring role in a big budget action film i'd love yeah. to see him in the marvel universe I don't well, know if- oh yeah
2: i mean he's not in the marvel universe but he was in spider-man and spider-man 2 and spider-man 3 and
3: 3 oh but- and he'll be in doctor strange probably he,
2: yeah. he i yeah he's definitely gonna be in doctor strange yeah. i mean yeah. Bruce is amazing. He's so funny. Um, he does such a good job. The hand acting it's wild. Cause like, you know, points of reference in the orders that I saw it in, it's very like Jim Carrey, like like uh, Jim Carrey obviously came after, but it's very mm-hmm. like that, you know, the whole bit in liar liar where he beats himself up in the bathroom is so, so similar to the scene of Bruce with his hand.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
2: just like,
0: mm-hmm. what
2: a hilarious bunch of gags that this hand becomes a character in a way that it talks like Mm -hmm. it makes noise and it fights him and he does such a good job with that and that is like so so difficult to do and i mean the scene of him in the kitchen getting his butt whipped by his own hand is (laughs) unreal (laughs)
1: and the way that is shot is the whole like the three stooges influence i think specifics the way Mm -hmm. a lot of their physical bits would come is it would be sped up and i specifically think of like the short uh, men in black the a cat the one they were nominated for the academy award for where like they're rushing through the hospital and it's very sped up and that's how this looks Mm -hmm. um And again, like we talked with Jay Blake last week, the sound design in that scene too, like the gibberish that he's spouting and it's obviously dubbed in after, it adds to that like surrealness of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: It's what a fun, yeah. What a fun collection of gags. What a great scene. And then it all leads up to him removing said hand, which Mm -hmm. he cuts off his hand in the shed, which is like obviously, you know, funny in its whole bit in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But what I've seen this movie a thousand times, and I guess it was only because this is the first time I was taking notes watching this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't do the chainsaw bit till like the end. Yeah, <laughs> like, it takes. And he's just
3: born a nub through a good. Yep.
2: Yeah, which like I, I mean, obviously, I was I, you know, just as you're like taking notes, you notice But the whole shed scene where he puts on the chainsaw happens very, very late.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and of course, is one of the most epic, iconic scenes in film history perhaps Mm -hmm. and
1: just him cutting off his hand the whole like stabbing himself through it and then asking the rhetorical question like who's laughing now (laughs) and as like the blood is like spraying on his face like to me this is a great movie to talk about schizophrenia and dissociative identity disorder um just this idea of like one man slowly going insane and like you know like the idea because like, there are points where like when he's like by the window and he's getting grabbed and like shoved into the window and then the camera cuts and he's like sitting in the chair like gripping the chair on his own and there's a number of things that happen like that where it's he chokes, man,
2: himself,
1: chokes himself the out, the, like you know when he tells himself like you're not fine you just cut up your girlfriend you're so mm-hmm. far away so it's a guy and then you have like when he's in the deadite when it's Ash as a deadite, that kind of like dissociative identity where you don't know what you're doing and you're not responsible. You can't be held responsible for your actions at that point because you're not yourself. Like that whole, it delves into that in a way that I don't think anyone's ever touched on. I mean,
2: I want to read it, Mike, and I think you're the guy to write it, but that's a whole (laughs) other conversation for a whole other night. (laughs)
1: It will be. It will be. (laughs) All right. So, um, and I think someone noted here, like, I love the farewell to ARMS
2: yes oh yeah they show the book a farewell to arms mm-hmm. um and like again retroactively like it made me immediately think of arrested development and all the arm off jokes
0: mm-hmm.
2: in arrested <laughs> development yeah. before um uh, buster loses his hand
1: Yep.
2: and i was like ah, oh, that's anyway farewell to arms it's so in that category I mean, it's wonderful so, yeah
1: so last thing we'll do really quick the easter eggs let's run through yes. them really quick
2: I didn't, I mean, it's not an exhaustive list. They're just the ones that like I kind of am hyper aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Sam Raimi makes a director's cameo. He actually has a speaking role Mm -hmm. as one of the knights in the Army of Darkness flashback or the Army of Darkness. uh, I mean, it's part of the movie, but kind of an epilogue. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. We've got a few. I mean, I know which my favorite one is, so I don't know.
0: Go ahead. I'm like stealing
2: my own thunder here. Um, There was a Freddy glove in the tool shed, Mm -hmm. a Freddy Krueger glove, which was apparently essentially a long running gag between our, our horror buds. Mm -hmm. Um, If you remember in the first movie, there's a poster of the Hills have eyes Mm -hmm. in the basement. Um, So we've got more craven things shoved into this movie, which is also funny because in a nightmare on Elm street, Nancy actually is watching the first evil dead movie Mm -hmm. to stay awake. Um, But then that kind of eventually gets parlayed into the fact that the Necronomicon from this movie shows up in our favorite,
1: Jason Jason Goes Goes to to Hell, Hell. (laughs) which
2: which also features a Freddy glove.
1: It does. And, you know, it's more than an Easter egg. Like Adam Marcus, the director of that movie, is on the record of saying like, it's an article from Screen Rant saying, no, Jason's a deadite. Like he was told by Bob Shea, he can do whatever he wanted <laughs> in his movie and Sam Cunningham's so who's like, Jason's a deadite. I can do the Necronomicon. Excellent. Jason's a deadite. So I love that kind of it's like he's like that would to me would be the only thing that could explain like how he can survive so much because of how hard it is. And that's why I think the Kindarian dagger dagger is in Jason Goes to Hell yes. as well. Mm-hmm. So um all of those little things. I like, kind of I love that. Um yeah, love that. so finally the legacy of this movie. Uh Lindsay, you have a quote here about Sam Raimi and his filmmaking and
2: yeah so i think this is a quote from uh bruce mm-hmm. um and he said that's what he's always meant for sam wasn't actually meant for doing low budget movies he did it because he had to but he didn't actually stay in that game very long dark man that's a studio movie 1989 that's not that long after evil dead 2 warren Beatty actually looked at evil anyway that all is just like some fun stuff oh this mm-hmm. was a den of geek interview um it was on den of geek with bruce mm-hmm. campbell it was for um Hail to the chin. Uh, So it was a a one-on-one. Anyway, the reason why I put that quote in is because he said, he told an anecdote about Warren Beatty, who we know played Dick Tracy, um, actually looked at Evil Dead 2 to see if Sam Raimi should direct Dick Tracy. And he like mentioned that there's a copy he with like Molly Ringwald in their, you know, manner watched evil dead too which is just like awesome. a fun thing to imagine <laughs>
1: <laughs> i it's funny that they say like Raimi should make these like he you know move on to the big budget because you hear his friends say like oh even though he's making spider-man movies like he really wants to make low budget movies at heart and it's like well what's stopping him like you know like dude then do it you know like i would love to see what sam Raimi can do with like five million dollars now because i bet it would be incredible Nah, he's um, just producing
2: bad scary movies yeah. now
1: you know oh, yeah. good for him he's giving a lot of people their start and
2: i don't i'm being but facetious but
1: unfortunately i don't think a lot of the stuff on ghost house is great but you know as new as the
2: unholy it was a big uh, yeah um
1: <laughs> that's not the movie that's going to get me to rush out to theater the sound <laughs> <one. laughs>
2: it so. ain't it but hey. see you at doctor strange
1: See, yep that's the thing he's like he's gone on to make like after the spider-man movies he made a wizard of oz sequel like doesn't get much bigger than that oh god um, and that's the last thing he's directed until dr strange wow. um like yeah wow which is uh, yeah i'm sure it's gonna be a lot of fun i think like i'm sure that that's gonna be a lot of fun okay so so concludes our talk on the Evil Dead. Um I would say to my thing about The Legacy, like I said before, I think it's the movie that everyone thinks about when they think about The Evil Dead. It remains one of the most fun horror movies I think of all time. It is one of the best horror comedies of all time. And if I remember correctly, like 1987 horror, like was an insane year. Yeah, it's like you get... The Lost Boys, Hellraiser, Prince of Darkness, The Monster Squad, Predator, Elm Street 3, um, the first Stepfather movie, Um, Bad Taste. You get like Peter Jackson coming onto the scene. Like 87 is like one of the sneaky, great, best years for horror movies ever. And no.
2: Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, I was going to say it's funny. So that's the year I was born. I'm just giving away all my personal data on this episode. Mm -hmm. That's the year I was born. And it's funny. What are the last
1: four digits of your social?
2: Yeah. Let me just. Yeah. Who was your first grade teacher? uh,
1: What was the first car you ever had? My
2: mother's maiden name. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just throwing it all away. But so there's always those like memes and, you know, quote tweet bait things. Mm -hmm. Or like, what's your favorite movie from the year you were born? And I'm like, all like all the best movies. Yes.
1: What a great <laughs> year. Like 81, 87 is just like they're insanely good years for horror yeah. movies. So yeah. So Brad, you and Becky Sayers have started to write and direct some movies together. Could you tell us a little bit about the projects you have out and what you're trying to get off the ground?
3: Yeah. Uh so um I've been screenwriting for about 10 years or so, and why not Becky? Uh, you know, I learned she's also a filmmaker. Um, she went to school for film. She's made two features. Um, maybe three. I honestly don't tell her I said that. Um, countless shorts. Um, but her feature, the last buck hunt is on Amazon prime and it's really Mm -hmm. funny. So you should go watch it. Um, but, uh, so we, we decided to, um, just start making some shorts together since I like to write a lot of them. And she, she has the directing abilities. And uh, so we eventually formed Suburban Ghost, uh, which is named after a uh, feature I wrote that uh, involves a, a ghost in the suburban setting. Um, and, you know, we're still actively trying to get uh, that movie off the ground. It's called Giving Up the Ghost. And we recently released online our first big short where we had a cast and a crew. Mm-hmm. And, and call sheets and all that fun stuff um, that played a variety of festivals. Uh, our biggest one was at, uh I played Fantasia in 2020, which was super awesome for us. Um, and uh, we, like I said, we recently uh, put that online. It's finished the festival circuit. And now we uh, no shortage of ideas, something like 10 features between us that we want to work on as well as trying to figure out shorts we want to do. We're going to try and do some bumpers for Telluride this year. Um, So we're just, you know, trying to create as much stuff as we possibly can and hopefully it'll get into the right hands. Mm -hmm. Oh, I I really want to see giving up the ghost get made. You've
1: sent me over a couple different drafts for it and it's a really good read. And that's one of those ones where it's gotten, it seems to have gotten some interest and it just
3: seems like a matter of time at this point. Yeah, an um, early, early, early drafts when it was like 120 pages long, which is just insane now that I think about it, uh, and a completely different type of movie. Uh, got like an eight on the blacklist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up getting like just tons of uh, like producers reaching out to me. Most of it was like you know these low, pro- not not low producers, but like they're not big names or anything like that. They're not from major studios or or companies or anything like that. So we got a little bit of traction. Um, the subsequent reviews were a two and a three, so not for everyone. Uh, but uh, it ended up getting optioned by Type A B Pictures. Mm-hmm. They did um, Delivery and um, the Home Invaded movie with the woman who's an agoraphobic. Martin Starr is in it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, I don't know why I can't remember the name Shut of that in, movie. Shut
2: in, but it was changed to. Yeah. It was called Shut In when I saw it, and then they changed yep. the name.
3: Hmm. but uh ultimately ultimately it didn't work out so i took the, took it back and um when becky came on board actually is when it really started to take shape we put together a pitch deck for it and um uh it was shortlisted at frontiers in 2019 the 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 film production market at uh, fantasia um which is how i got to go to fantasia and meet Lindsay for the first time uh but uh Uh, Yeah, without her, it wouldn't be where it is today. She helped, you know, help ground it. It became less of a straight horror film and more of kind of a dramatic thriller. Mm -hmm. uh, Very character-driven. And um, obviously, you know, we're still trying to get into the right hands. A lot of big companies have read it and rejected it, mainly due to the final scene, which uh, apparently is a sticking point. Uh, But uh, the the newest um, development is uh, one of my favorite bands uh, has agreed they haven't agreed they signed a letter of intent uh, to, uh, to score it um, If that ever Comes to fruition I think my next step uh, I don't know if I should be You know publicly saying any of this but it doesn't really matter I guess um, uh, I want to take one of the My favorite scenes from it And shoot it as a proof of concept mm-hmm. And get them to do a score over it And maybe use it for like a Kickstarter or Indiegogo Or something like that
1: But where can our listeners Follow you for updates or, you know, just in general to hear your ta- hot takes on school lunches and movies.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, Brad A. McCarg uh, at Twitter. Um, and then you can go to suburban-ghost.com to, to watch all of our shorts or Suburban Ghosts on Vimeo and YouTube. Um, we upload everything there. Um, uh, and that's pretty much it but i'm certainly not shy about promoting myself so if you follow me i'll be talking about my shit more often than not <laughs> yeah. excellent well
1: thank you for joining us man and let's not wait an, in like another 90 episodes to have you on all right <laughs> well and i'm I'll taking s- over for Lindsay since this excellent. is a yeah, call. true President and knows. i will see you in telluride this october hopefully hell knock yeah on knock on wood yeah um, All right. So Lindsay, what do you have coming up right now? What are you working on?
2: Working on uh, more reviews, more TV reviews. I don't want to jinx it um, because I'm still very cautiously optimistic about Mm -hmm. a specific film review that I'm not shut up about Mm -hmm. might come through. So stay tuned for that sometime around the middle of May. Mm -hmm. Wink. But again, cautious optimism uh yeah reviews i just finished watching the show shrill which is still embargoed but i'm very excited to be reviewing and writing some editorial about that
1: it's not the one about the she was a writer for av club
2: i don't know if she was a writer for av club it's a tv show with uh, ad bryant mm-hmm. um that's based on a collection of essays called loud woman mm-hmm. something like that Oh, I will confirm that. It's a really great, I'm a huge fan of it
0: and I'm mm-hmm. really
2: thrilled to be talking about season three. Um yeah, working on lots of lots of that. It's a review West, heavy month.
1: Okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. So I need to watch this. I've heard good things about it's it. It's so. great I
2: mean, I really like it. Okay. Um yeah. So yeah, that's what we're working on. Yeah, it's a review heavy month.
1: Excellent. So for me, uh, let's see, you could find my other show, psychoanalysis. Um, uh, everywhere you get your podcast we just wrapped up narcissism we're doing a month on residential treatment and i'm not quite sure how we're going to cover the kind of like background information on it but i know that we're doing um shutter island is our first movie um I think by the the episode that's out right now as you hear this or will be coming out in a couple of days, we did our first like listener feedback episode because we had an extra Thursday in the month and we got some like awesome inquiries and feedback from our listeners and it was actually probably one of the more fun episodes we did. So I'm looking for if you guys want to hear some stuff check that out. You can hear me on Grumpire Pretty soon talking about another sam raimi film um talking about like why i like spider-man 3 um, (gasps) more than most and why i am less of a fan of toy story 3 so that is like the premise of the show find a movie you love and one you're not as fond of so that will be interesting with lb and her husband andrew i am i'm into it i'm definitely into it so um all right so listeners if you've enjoyed the show and if you are almost 2 hours into it and still listening like unless you're hate listening you're into <laughs> it admit it we're giving you what you need not you know not even what you want what you need you need us in your ears every other week i mean what's what's keeping you going right now um what we need you to do is go ahead go and rate us, review us, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We just got like a really nice review sent to us and that helps. Um, one of our podcasting friends, Terry from Scared to Death, or uh, so sorry, Scarred for Life, just wrote how much like getting reviews helps others find podcasts and it really does like when we get a bunch of reviews it just bumps us up on the algorithm somehow and people find us and we feel like once you listen to a show or two you're a listener for life um that's you know my ego talking but you know whatever (laughs) listen Um,
2: reviews are free that's what i say you always want to know how to support your favorite stuff reviews are free so thank you
1: now what's not free but also helps us a lot but also gets you stuff in return correct if you haven't already, we're gonna make this plea every week. You know, become a patron of the show. Um, it is where we give you a bonus episode every month, where we get to cover non-franchise horror. Sometimes we delve into superhero films. We do um, what we normally wouldn't get to do. But you get the same treatment. We don't. We treat these bonus episodes with the same attention to detail and you know sometimes irreverence you get on the Maid feed. Um, we have other bonus content that's up there, including what we are uh, twice a month recommendations. So you can go to, you know, consider us like the staff picks basically when you would go to your local video store. Uh, so you know what you should be watching or listening to or reading that week. Cause there's so much content out there and we're boiling it down for you we have got other perks that are up there as well. Some other ideas I have. And I want to do some more hangouts with our listeners. I would love to do kind of like a once a month get together, even if it's just one of us, like, you know, getting together, just shooting the shit with listeners on the higher end. But two, five and ten dollars. And I'm asking you, like, I think we are honestly, we could charge more, uh, but we want to make it. We know money is tight um we want to make it so even at the two dollar level you get that free or you get that bonus episode and i'm telling you guys like patreon is the way that you know other shows are moving towards that model where they're giving you more paid for than free episodes and we're not there yet i don't think i'm ever going to get there where i'm going to be comfortable giving you know charging versus giving free episodes on a podcast but with the amount of work we put in like the research the buying the movies the books um i would say like a two-hour episode on average probably on my end somewhere around 15 to 20 hours goes into it and i think lindsey it's pretty much the same as well on top of everything else so i love doing this show for you it's been two years. By the time you hear this, we'll be hitting right up on our two year anniversary. Um, which is nuts that we're over a hundred episodes and two years in. If you love what we do and you can spare it a couple bucks a month, it goes a long way to keeping the lights on.
2: Yeah. We appreciate you
1: all. You so thank you. All right. So on that note, we are done for this week. We hope you loved our episode on the Evil Dead 2. What are we coming back with next week?
2: Army of Darkness!
1: Ruby.